Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women and BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. Today's episode is sponsored by Hint. Hint has made the perfect beverage water a little more perfect by infusing it with fruit essences. Their delicious fruit accurate flavors have no sugar, sweeteners, or calories and are available in more than 25 flavors, including watermelon, peach raspberry, and my favorite, blackberry. You can grab your favorite fruit-flavored water at retailers nationwide or have it shipped straight to your door at drinkhint.com. So today I am hanging out with Kara Golden, who is the founder and CEO of Hint Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. Kara has received numerous accolades, including being named EY Entrepreneur of the Year 2017, Northern California, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, and one of InStyle's 2019 Badass 50. Previously, Kara was VP of Shopping Partnerships at America Online. Remember AOL? She is also the host of the Kara Golden Show podcast and is a founder, speaker, and now author. Her first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, was released October 2020 and is now a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. Kara lives in the Bay Area, California with her family, where she continues to inspire us all. Welcome to the show, Kara. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here because first of all, I am obsessed with your Hint water. It's so refreshing, it's flavorful, and it honestly quenches my thirst when I want something delightful to drink. So happy to hear. It's, it is <laughs> yummy, I have to say. I have my yes. lemon lemon water right here, so. I have my blackberry water right here. There you go. <laughs> so before we go into your journey starting Hint Inc., can you share with us more about your childhood roots and background as the youngest of five children growing up in Scottsdale, Arizona? Yeah, so I I grew up in Scottsdale. I was uh, I I laugh because I I feel like it, Scottsdale wasn't what it is today. I mean, it was a pretty small town. It was maybe just shy of uh, just over a hundred thousand people at the time, and and uh, I was the last of five and had older brothers and sisters who um, we almost had two families, although the same parents, but. My uh, brother and sister were 15 and 16 years older than me, and then I had this other brother and sister that were three and two and three years older than me. And so my 15 and 16 year old 
uh, siblings, I, you know, they were in high school and so they were, they had jobs, you know, they were talking about all kinds of um, things that were a little beyond my years, but I listened, right? And I was curious about kind of what they were doing. And I think I, I thought that life was unfair because they had money to go to the mall and I didn't when I was, you know, <laughs> nine or 10, right? And, uh, you know, I would just, uh, I talk, one of the things I talk about in the book is my brother, uh, he always wanted to be a lawyer, which is probably the reason why I wanted to be a lawyer. And I would sit with him in the garage while he was fixing Volkswagens. So he would buy Volkswagen bugs and he would fit, he would fix them up. They didn't have eBay back then, but he would flip them. And he would always talk to me because nobody else was listening, right? So Cara, I also love that you mentioned in your book, Undaunted, that your dad said that you always think that no means maybe and maybe means yes. So what are some of examples of that playing out in your early years? Well, it's interesting. Obviously, later in, in life, uh, those words would have a different connotation, particularly to women. Um, that was not the intent way back when that he used to uh, say to me. And it was it was really speaking to my persistence, right? That I, I wanted to, um, to be older. I wanted to get all these different opportunities that I saw my brothers and sisters having. And so I kept asking. And what I figured out was that I talked about curiosity before. I was always curious, but asking, not being afraid to ask questions and not being afraid to ask for what I want, knowing that you know, my dad knew that if I really wanted something, I would keep asking. And so that's what he would say, you know, that's the problem. If I don't actually say no, but then the problem with saying no is that you still, if you really want something, you'll be like, oh, we're eventually going to get there to, to maybe. And, um, you know, little did I know that would set me up for uh, dealing with challenging times ahead, even in business. I think, you know, the one thing that I'll say that I think can really resonate with a lot of people is that when you are, when you're really, you know, trying to go out and do something hard, I think people, their typical reaction is if somebody says no to me, then you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, depending on who they are, if they have a lot of experience or um, maybe they're, um, they go to, they went to a better college than you or, right, who, whatever it is, it, he, you know, it's, it, it is, you size these people up to think like, oh, they're, they're better than me in some way. Yeah. And, and I think it's just, instead of actually, you know, hanging on their every word, thinking that they're gonna, you know, if they say no, you, you never really know. I think so often when I think about those situations, I, some of them I even write about in my book that I, I don't even know that people know the power of their words sometimes, yeah. right? They'll just do it as yeah. a reaction because they just don't feel like it or they'll say that's a dumb idea. Um, or maybe, uh, in, you know, in the case of talking about risk overall, it's something I think about the situation a lot where you are, uh, you know, your family and friends are the worst because they don't want you to take any risk. Right. So they want you yeah. to be safe. And so they're going to say, don't do that. That's a stupid idea. Right. And and uh, 
if if you've got a real if you've got some you know competitor out there or somebody who isn't used to being an entrepreneur they'll say why would you do that why would you go and raise money why would you do that while you're having kids why would you you know they're the doubters and, because they can't fathom doing this the, yeah. the, the same thing themselves right Right. And, and I think often I think about those words a lot and the power of those words. Those aren't, I, you know, I don't think they have bad intent for you. I think they actually, I like to believe that the world is actually good. They're stupid a lot of times. <laughs> you and I too. <laughs> right? They're dumb, um, you know, a lot of times, but they're, but they have good intent. And they don't remember that they say those things along the way. And yeah. I think that instead recognize that people will chime in with opinions they you know they want you to be safe they want you to do the right things maybe they want you know in the case of one of my situations where you know they this competitor of mine i really believe wanted to take a chess piece off the table so was going to tell me don't do that right that could come up in a situation but I think more likely than not, they're, they're playing into your own doubts of whether or not you should do something or, um, or you know, your capabilities as, as well. I love that. You know, I, your tenacity really shows just in your storytelling and obviously, you know, your presence. You got into the workforce pretty early on when, when most of us are babysitting, <laughs> you landed your first job at a toy store at the age of 14. And you dabbled in quite a few jobs uh, before you would venture out into the corporate space. So can you take us through some of those early job experiences? And what were some of the values and skills that you cultivated along the way that would then lay the foundation for what you do now? So uh, the, the the toy store, I, it, it's a uh, Actually, I'll even back it up even further. My friend Robin, who was my um, childhood friend, shared with me actually on social media a few months ago when she heard that my first job was, uh, besides some babysitting jobs, was in the toy store. She said, no, actually, your first job was doing a camp with me. And I said, oh, my gosh, I remember that. I was at age 12. And, again, I'm in Arizona. It's, you know, way over 100 degrees at, at the time in the summer. And my brothers and sisters all have jobs and I wanted to make money. And so I called Robin and I said, Robin, okay, we're going to do a summer camp. And she said, a summer camp. And I said, yeah, we can do it at my house. I'm making it up as I went along. And I said, we're going to, uh, we're going to invite kids over and we're going to get a bunch of boxes from the local Safeway. And we're gonna put the boxes together and the camp is gonna be all about, we're gonna, we're gonna make a city. She said, how are we gonna make a city? And I said, well, <laughs> we'll make a town actually. We're gonna make a town. And she said, how are we gonna do this? And I said, oh, it's gonna be so great. Like, I mean, these kids, they've never made a town before. She said, well, I've never made a town before. I said, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll figure it out. And she said, how are we gonna get people to know that we're doing this. And I said, we're gonna make a sign and we're gonna go on the corner and we're gonna tell people, drop off your kids. And she said, well, how, how do we know how much money to charge them? And I said, 
$5 for the whole day. And she said, why $5? And I said, well, I don't know, but it sounds like a great place to start. And maybe, oh. and if it seems too expensive. So the first day we get 12 kids. And oh, really? I, I mean, it was, <laughs> and so <laughs> we have these 12 kids. The parents are, you know, they pick up the kids. Everybody's having fun. We've got lots of markers. We're making, you know, the city. We're kind of figuring out how to connect them. It was just, you know, this whole thing and going on. And then I remember my my brother saying to me, again, the power of words. He said, don't you have to have some kind of activity to do with with the kids? And I said, we were building a town. And he said, no, I mean like sports, some, you know, something active. I mean, you can't just have everybody just sitting around building and you have to do some kind of exercise or something. And I said, like, what? <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know. Maybe you could go up in Arizona. They have these canals. They have these little canals. And he said, maybe you could go up and, and crawdad fish. And I, I mean, I didn't like to crawdad fish at all. And I said, okay, all right, well, that's what we'll do. We'll take the kids up there to crawdad fish. And so we did that. I had no idea what we were doing. And anyway, this camp went on for, I think, three weeks. And then I got bored. I'm like, now I got to go to work every single day. I got to do this camp and have all these kids here. And so we started to close the camp down and, you know, parents were upset. It was that they weren't upset, but they were sad, right? That we weren't doing it anymore. But again, I, I think it's a story. One of the chapters I talk about in my book is flying the plane as you're building it. I've yeah. always just felt like nothing was going to be perfect. And actually owning people said do you guys actually know what you're doing we're 12 years old i kept reminding people i'm 12. i'm trying really hard but it's and i mean the parents actually got a kick out of the fact that we didn't know what we were doing but we were just trying so there's some lessons there um and then because you that, that actually doesn't change even as you get older like I still don't know what I'm doing. And I often use that analogy of building the airplane while I'm flying it. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I love her. She gets it. I'm not alone. Totally. And you know, and I, it's funny, I was on another interview earlier and, and I was talking about this, that I think that the thing that so many people have written to me about the book that I've done throughout my entire life is actually try to put myself in the situation of the person that I'm speaking to on the other side of the table, which is a very, very important thing to know how to do. And so at the time when I was a kid, I was sitting, I was trying to service not just the kids, but also the parents. Because I had a little bit of fear and anxiety about, you know, what if somebody calls me out and actually figures out that I have no idea how to build a town, <laughs> right? It's a huge deal, right? I don't really like, you know, putting, putting a little uh, worm on the end of my, you know, I can't even call it a, a fishing pole. I mean, it was pathetic. It was just like a stick with a, with a string hanging off. It was like not... We were not prepared to do any of this, but everybody had such a great time that they kept coming back and the creativity. I mean, people were laughing. It was just, it was great. And, and so I think it's, 
I think it's just a story which I even look at in my own business is, is just being in touch with the customer and making sure that you're doing things right. And then when you're not having fun anymore, don't just like walk away. We want, we started to wind it down. We just said, you know what? We're 12. We, you know, we've really had a great time doing this, but we kind of want our summer back now too. And, you know, we don't want to leave you high and dry, but, but again, being honest with people, but being and and really telling people kind of what you're thinking about is is way better, right? Actually laying it on the table, I think people they want that, right? They want that communication. And again, I think it's something that I was doing when I was twelve and I was I'm doing now as a CEO of a company. I I absolutely love that. I love this whole winging it i'm 12 years old i don't know what i'm doing let's just have fun together and i'm making 60 dollars in the process um so you would would then go into a toy shop you would then work in a salon and do all these other different things become a server um and then you eventually enrolled at the walter cronkite school of journalism and telecommunication at arizona state university majoring in communications and ended up taking some finance classes and adding that to your roster. So can you share a little bit about your educational background? Yeah, so I, I was a journalism major. I love to write and I love to uh, do storytelling. So for me, those were kind of, those were the things that I was most passionate about. So they seemed the most obvious for me to go and take those classes. But I think I, I stumbled upon finance classes because friends of mine were taking finance classes and I'm a college kid. I want to be with my friends. Right. And I thought it'd be fun to take <laughs> classes with them. Uh, but they, you know, my brain didn't work the same way as some of my friends that I really value and enjoy. Um, and so finance classes were hard for me. I just didn't, I walked in thinking, okay, this is going to be just like my writing classes, but it was really different and really challenging. And so kind of along the same lines as what I talked about before, really understanding the other side of the table, I, you know, went to my professor and I just said, listen, I am not used to not doing well in class and I really want to do well. So what is your advice? What are your thoughts? Right? I'm, I, I show my vulnerability, but then I also ask for thoughts back. And that's when the professor said, you know, you should really get a subscription to the Wall Street Journal and to Fortune Magazine. The Wall Street Journal was like a foreign language to me. I remember the first time looking at it saying, what the heck? I mean, this is not journalism. <laughs> this is like EBITDA and all this other stuff. I just thought it's really, really hard. And so I would, um, I would do it. It wasn't my favorite thing to do, but I would read it, try and read it. And then, uh, and then Fortune actually really simplified things for me. So I started looking at back copies of Fortune, whatever. When I was graduating, I thought, you know, I didn't understand any of this stuff when I first got in finance classes. I was a minor in finance. And uh, I thought, that'd be pretty darn cool if I could go and tell that story and go and get a job at Fortune magazine. So I had looked in a bunch of the mastheads in the magazines that I was looking at and and uh, and reading, and that's when I saw they were all in New York. I had never been to New York City before. For me, I was, you know, 
this Arizona girl had gone. We didn't get out much having, you know, five kids and, and our family. We went to LA a couple times in San Diego and that was sort of it. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to, I've got some money from babysitting and doing a few other things along the way, starting a camp, toy store. So I'm going to buy a ticket and invest in myself and go to New York. And I remember one of my friends saying to me, how are you going to get a job at Fortune? She's kind of laughing at me. And I said, well, I'm going to write to the managing editor of Fortune magazine, and I'm going to tell him that I learned a lot through Fortune magazine, and it really helped me to get through my finance classes. And all my friends, I mean, I think they just like to see what I would say next and what, and I usually did what I said and I, and <laughs> just get it, you know, crack up and they'd say, oh, there she goes again. She's going to go and do that. And I say, you just watch, it's all good. And, uh, so I did, I wrote to Marshall, uh, Marshall Loeb, who was the then managing editor of fortune. And I said just that, that he, I really appreciated the magazine because it helped me. And he wrote me a note back and said, if you're ever in the New York area, please let me know. And I put that letter in my briefcase and I showed all my friends. I said, see, he wrote me. He didn't give me a job yet. The, the, the maybe, right? The maybe yeah, will be yeah. a yes. Soon to be he, a yes. It'll soon be a yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I ended up flying out uh, to to New York and uh, had a few other jobs in, be in between different interviews. And when I got to New York, I went to the HR offices and um, they didn't have security at the bottom of the building yet. And I just marched up and I'll st I cannot forget the woman's face who was the receptionist in the HR office. She said, can I help you? And I said, I'm here to see Marshall Loeb. And she said, do you have an appointment? And I said, I have a letter that says if I'm ever in the New York area. And she looked at me like, <laughs> her? You know, and so, she, and so she called her manager and said, I'm not really sure this woman's here. I mean, she's got this letter. I don't know, it seems kind of legit, um, but I don't know what to do with her. And the woman came out and said, I'm sorry, uh, Marshall just cannot see you. We don't hire people right out of college. And I said, oh, that's really too bad. Well, I leave tomorrow. Are there any other people that are interested in hiring uh, entry-level people? And she said, uh, well, what kind of role are you looking for? And I said, well, I'd love to write, but I'll do anything. I just want to work in this building. And she said, you know, there's an executive assistant role in circulation. And I didn't know what circulation was. I said, it's in the building though? And she said, yeah. And I said, great. I said, well, can I go and interview? She said, well, I'll call and I'll see. Little did I know that Brooke McMurray had been looking for an assistant for many months and couldn't find one. And uh, so she sent me in for the interview. And the thing that I learned about that story in particular is, and again, you don't know it when you're going through it, but when I got up to Brooke's office to interview, she said, so this happened really last minute. How did this come about? And I told her the story about how I, you know, <laughs> had written this letter to Marshall and Marshall wrote me this letter, but he didn't have any roles available. And so maybe eventually I'll work at Fortune, but I'd love to come work for you. And 
I think she just like was trying to figure me out. She was trying to figure out, is she for real? Or, you know, and I just said, who does this? Who, who, does, does, who this? does what you right? do? No. And I just said, but I said, I can tell you one thing for sure. I want to work in this building and I will work really hard for you. And I did. And I worked oh. really hard for him. Brooke and I are still really good friends. And, uh, and I said, I will, I want to be here. And I want to, like, this is my goal. And if I can figure out even how to get close to that goal, maybe eventually I'll, I'll do that. And so I ended up working for her and it was great. And, you know, learned lots of things that, you know, for example, going to Arizona State University, I thought it was awesome. And uh, it was in-state tuition, so my parents were quite happy about that. Uh, but when I went to time, when I realized is that there was this whole other world that existed out there where my school that I went to wasn't good enough, right? Yeah. It wasn't Ivy League. And, and what I realized is that I was a quick study, and I had lots of people around me who all went to Ivy League schools, and... I had a moment where I started to think, uh, I didn't go. People were asking me, what does your dad do for a living? Mm -hmm. And I said, what, what do you mean? And they said, well, how'd you get this job here? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I just applied and I got it. And, you know, you're 21. You're trying to figure it out. I didn't know anybody in New York. I mean, it was just I was trying to do a good job for my boss. But I was, you know, quick study on this stuff. And that's when... I had a moment with myself and I thought I can allow that to affect me or I can do my job really well and stay focused, find the good people, find the people that are going to be supportive of me and then move on and go and do something else and find my tribe because I can't go back. Maybe I can go get a graduate degree, but I can't undo where I came from, what my gender is, what school I went to, right? I can't undo any of that. It is what it is. And, and so that was the, that was like such a key learning for me. That's such an incredible story. And I, I, it resonates with me so much because I'm actually the oldest of five kids from New Mexico, oh, Las wow. Cruces, New Mexico. So we're both from the South Southwest um, and, you know, New Mexico State University, that's nothing, right? So um, ASU is a step above, I believe. But, you know, it is so true that so many of us do feel daunted, dare I say, um, mm -hmm. because we don't have that Ivy League background or that educational background that is supposed to, you know, get us the kind of jobs that we seek, you know, these dreams that we have that somehow because we're women or because we're small town girls, uh, we can't be in New York or, or California. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that you're a testament to the success of, of being able to do that. And what I loved most about reading your book is your inquisitive nature. It is your ability to ask all the questions, to be so bold as to say, I, I, you know, I wrote this person, I have a letter, I'm showing up. Um, and you talk about showing up, which is coincidentally my favorite, you know, piece of advice that I personally share. So how have you shown up over the years? You know, you, you worked at AOL, um, you you clearly became a leader in these spaces. So what did that process look like? 
Yeah, well, I got to a- America Online through uh, through joining a little startup. It, it, so I I met my husband in New York after doing a stint at CNN, and uh, he was actually graduating from law school and wanted to do technology law. Nobody was doing technology law in New York City, and everybody kept saying, go west. It's happening in Silicon Valley first and right now. And so we got engaged and I figured we'll go out to San Francisco for a couple of years and then come back to to New York. And the only person that I kind of equated with Silicon Valley was this guy, Steve Jobs. And I thought, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get a, I'm not an engineer. I can't get a job at Apple. I mean, that's, that's what I thought. I didn't know what these other roles were. I had really been growing up in, in journalism at this point. And so I ran across this little company that was a spin out of Apple that had started as a project inside of Apple that was doing CD-ROM shopping. And they were partnering with companies like Omaha Steaks and J. Crew and uh, 1-800-Flowers. And I thought, I like all of those brands. That would be really fun. I don't really understand how it all comes together, but it'd be really fun to get a job. And maybe I'll meet Steve along the way. And so I didn't know how to get a hold of anybody there. I didn't know even how small they were. Um, but I picked up the phone and I called the gentleman that was quoted in this article. I didn't know if he was going to answer the phone or not, but he did. <laughs> and I said, hey, I just I just moved here from New York and I'd love to come and hear what you guys are doing. I'm not looking for a job. I'm actually just got here trying to figure out. I you know worked at CNN trying to figure out if I want to stay with CNN or not. He said, you work for CNN? And I said, I do. It didn't even matter what I did for CNN. I mean, he was so enamored with the brand. And here I was enamored because he had worked for Apple. I'm like, what's <laughs> You know, I, I just, I loved his design perspective and all, all of these things. Anyway, so we ended, I offered to take him to coffee. And, uh, and we went to coffee. And then... And then he was like, well, you've worked for these incredible brands, Time and CNN. Would you want to come and work for us and go and talk to all these catalogers and try and get them to understand the Internet? And I, I had I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I felt so ill-equipped to actually go and do this job that he was describing. But I thought. Well, he has confidence in me, and I don't know. I mean, maybe I could go do it. I have no I, I didn't know what circulation was, so maybe I'll go and learn and, you know, figure this out. <laughs> and maybe he'll find me out eventually, but maybe then at least I'll meet some people along the way. And so I get this offer, and then what I realized is that nobody knew what they were doing, right? It was the early days of the Internet. I, I mean, I was one of the stories in the book. I went into Mickey Drexler's office at The Gap. I'm meeting with the CEO of The Gap, right? Which was, I mean, it was insane. Friends of mine who did work at The Gap, they're like, how are you meeting with the CEO of the company? You're in your 20s. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I, I mean, he wants to learn about the internet and so, and about CD-ROM and how they're different. And so I, just all these crazy things every day, I would think somebody's going to find me out eventually and I'm going to, you know, and then I'll have had a great 
experience. And in the meantime, I'm going to sit there and really take advantage and learn and focus because I loved what I was doing. Anyway, after a little a couple of years at this point, one of our investors, we needed more money. And one of our investors was America Online and they acquired us. And so through the acquisition, it was at a time when they were putting buttons on the screen where there were sports and news and shopping. So I got this button called shopping and they said, you can do it from San Francisco. You're going to be meeting with catalogers all over the U.S. Uh, but again, you know, I'm in this position where I'm the youngest vice president at AOL. They, uh, they really wanted me to stay. They were going to let me do it from anywhere. And I was one of the few women. And I thought, if I don't like it, what's the worst that can happen? I could quit. And that, and that was why I did it. And I thought I, I am so, I would walk in every day saying, okay, I'm going to try, but if you guys want to hire somebody else eventually, that's cool too. I have no idea what I'm doing. And people would say, none of us know what we're doing. We're building a, we're building an airplane <laughs> while we're flying it. And so that was, um, you know, that was my experience with America Online. And seven years later, it was a billion dollars in revenue uh, to AOL. And, uh, and that's when I think I, I just also looked at these young kids that I was leaving every day. I mean, that was, that's a whole other, you know, chapter where I, I wanted to be a mom. I had three young kids under the age of four. I'd get, I, you know, I'd get on my United Airlines flight every day and, and every Monday. And I, you know, I was sad. I was sad. I was, I wasn't sad about much of my life. I was sad. I was leaving my kids. And so mm. I thought, you know, I've done a lot at AOL. It's, it's been a great ride. Maybe it's time to just go spend some time with my kids. There seems like there's a lot of businesses in the internet where I could get a job in Silicon Valley. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the hardest thing for me was so many people, again, the words that we talked about before, so many people would say, isn't it really risky that you're taking time off? And I'd say, well, I'm just taking a little time they're like how long are you taking i'm like well how long is too long and people would all tell me different they'd say don't take more than a couple months don't take more than a year and nobody really knew and i kept thinking if i really did something pretty incredible then why is it risky that i'm taking some time off can i actually just own the fact that i really want to be a mom i mean what's what's wrong mm. with that and I, and, but again, it was like my own little war, right. That I was having internally. And I thought, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. I mean, people are going to say what they're going to say and I just have to stay focused and, and enjoy what I'm doing. But was it lonely kind of sitting in that space, hearing that a oh, thousand percent. I mean, I, I just, I, I didn't love what I was hearing, but I thought, eh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And now I can tell you for sure that nobody really knew what they were talking about when they say those kind of things. And I know they say it to people all the time, like, don't take too much time off work or uh, whatever. But I think it's just if you're if you do a good job, you'll be valued. It doesn't matter. Right. It's like it's really keeping your skills up and being able to do what you do. That is the most important piece. Well, you really did march to the beat of your own drum. And I love how you have stayed true to 
to yourself and, and your intuitive sort of this intuitive gift that you have, you know, to follow your own path. So you call yourself an accidental entrepreneur. So what does that mean? And how did you eventually become an actual entrepreneur? Yeah, so that was I had taken a few years off. And I was I was really looking at, you know, these young kids that my family that I was caring for and really concerned about what they were eating and putting into their body because I probably cared more about them than I did about myself. And I think one day I really had this realization that maybe that was the reason why I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. I'd gained a bunch of weight over the course of all my pregnancies, but also had developed terrible adult acne and my energy levels. I always had to take a nap in the afternoon. I thought, I just don't feel the same as I used to and didn't really have an excuse because I wasn't working. I thought, like, what is going on with me? And that's when I started looking at everything I was eating, I was dieting, and I realized that it was really confusing and wasn't that simple. I had been exercising all the time. I never really stopped exercising even, you know, since I was a kid, I was a competitive um, gymnast and runner and, and, uh, but you know, it was hard. And I think it's, it's, you know, something I say today is I realized at firsthand how hard it is to actually get healthy when you really want your health. It's really hard. And I think it's, yes, it it's is. the decks are stacked against consumers to actually figure it out. And there's all these tricky words that are in there, like the word diet. For me, I had been drinking diet soda for years, thinking that I was doing the right thing. And when I gave up the diet soda, only because I started reading labels in the food that I was eating, and I saw the ingredients in the drink, I thought, huh, nobody ever talks about drinks, but maybe I should just give it up and see what happens. And so I did, and I started drinking plain water, and I thought, I know I'm supposed to drink plain water, but it is so darn boring, and so maybe <laughs> I'll start slicing up fruit and throwing it in the water and see what would happen. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to go start my own company or I hate working for people. I think for me, I just was trying to solve this problem for myself while I had time to do it. And uh, two and a half weeks later, I lost over 20 pounds. I mean, oh, wow. it's insane. Right. It just like, it was crazy. My um, my acne went away. My energy levels went went up. And that's when my curiosity kicked in. And I thought, wait, what just happened? Why did this happen? And that's when I, you know, just decided at that point that I want to figure it out and I want to figure out why this is. And by the way, I still want fruit and water. So I went to my local store, uh, Whole Foods that had just opened up and um, I thought that there would be this product in the market, water and fruit. There's lots of things called water. I had never really paid attention. There was this hot new drink on the market called vitamin water. And I I never really paid attention to anything but Diet Coke because that was my drink. And so, <laughs> um, right? And so I kept yeah. looking. Everybody drinks Diet so, Coke. Right. And, and again, like if you're a Diet Coke drinker, you don't look at other drinks on the beverage aisle, right? If you're a vitamin water drinker, you don't, like that's what you do. And so... What I realized is that I was, um, you know, I, I really didn't understand all the options out there. There was healthy perception versus healthy reality. And even mm -hmm. vitamin water, they didn't even have a diet version of that product back then. It was 
um, you know, had more sugar and calories than a can of Coke. And I mean, it was crazy. And I thought it's, it's just hard to find out what's good and what isn't good. But I thought if I could actually bring my product to the shelf, then I can help a lot of people because it helped me to love water. And this is how I got myself to love water. And I still wasn't using the term start my own company, uh, become an entrepreneur, because those are really daunting words, even to this day. I mean, they, they sort of scare me, right? That I'm thinking, oh my God, start a company? That's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, but I thought, you know, if I can actually get the product on the shelf. So this is, a, this is something I, I share with entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs all the time, that it's going to be scary, right? To say you're going to go start a company or becoming an entrepreneur. And oftentimes people can't get past that fear. But instead, if you look at, okay, well, if I want to do that, that's my long-term thing. What are the steps to actually do that? Okay, well, you have to write a business plan. You have to go figure out how to get your product on the shelf. You have to, in my case, buy labels and, you know, the the fruit and the product and actually try and incubate this thing and so when you take small steps to actually figure out how you're going to go do something and again don't forget about it but don't focus on it on that long-term goal what you realize is that it's not going to be perfect you're gonna you're gonna like figure out things like oh that's actually not the label I thought I was supposed to have, and then I've got to change. And I think that the most important thing is just to actually not stay complacent. And, and ha you can call it your dream, follow your passion, whatever. Just do something. Just do something, anything. Go figure it out. Go figure out what it is that you, like, what are a few of the steps? You may take wrong steps as well, but, you know, you won't take you you won't do that a second time right you'll you'll do it the wrong way once and then you'll say ah that wasn't the right way okay now i got to go this way and so that's what i learned and it wasn't until a friend said to me uh that's so cool that you're starting your own company i said i i am no i'm just getting a product on the shelf at whole foods and that's what my goal is and she said so you're not starting a company and i said well, I guess I am. I mean, I have to have, you know, the paperwork and insurance and all that. So I guess I'm starting a company, but I never really thought about that. So, um, <laughs> so that's how it started. I absolutely love your tenacity and the fact that you truly are undaunted. We're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women in STEAM segment, and we'll be back with Kara Golden. Today's pioneering woman is Kimberly Bryant. Kimberly Bryant is an African-American electrical engineer who worked in the biotechnology field at Genentech, Novartis Vaccines, Diagnostics, and Merck. She was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. She earned a degree in electrical engineering at Vanderbilt University. In 2011, Bryant founded Black Girls Code, a nonprofit organization that teaches basic programming concepts and STEM skills to young black girls who are underrepresented in technology and STEM. After founding Black Girls Code, Bryant has been listed as one of the 25 most influential African Americans in technology by Business Insider. 
Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Kimberly Bryant. Innovators, we are back with Kara Golden, CEO and founder of Hint Inc., which brings us the best tasting naturally flavored water on the market. And we're talking about not taking no for an answer, being inquisitive and asking questions, and being bold and going after your dreams. Kara, you are such an inspiration. Some of the greatest tips that you provide for those who may want to launch their companies, even if it is accidentally, or a product um, that they'd like to launch are actually chapter titles in your book, such as build the airplane while you're flying it, find partners you trust, believe in your product, persevere, and celebrate the wins. So what were some of the wins that you've been able to celebrate along the way? Because we know that you've had quite a bit of a journey, you know, as you were tinkering with flavors and trying to get, you know, the shelf life going. Um, what are some of the wins that you've been able to celebrate? So many. Um, you know, I'd say one thing that I realized, too, is, you know, you're always going to have points along the way where you doubt uh, that whether or not you uh, can move forward, right? That you get stuck a little bit. And that was me a, a couple of years into Hint when I was trying to figure out, you know, I wasn't get, paying myself salary. I had, you know, young kids. My husband was helping me uh, with the business a bit, but I just thought, this is really stupid. I mean, it's really hard. I was really zoning in on the fact that that it was uh, a lot harder than I had ever anticipated and certainly was one of the hardest things that I had ever done. And that's when a friend of mine who was at Google, he had worked with my husband at, at Netscape, reached out and said, you should come talk to us. Here I'd been off, you know, for a few years and, and from America Online. He said, you should really come talk to us because it you know, we've got some interesting opportunities at Google. So I went down and had lunch with them. And that's when, uh, you know, I really decided I, I was kind of thinking about what I had done and was proud of what I had done, but it was really, really challenging. And I was learning a lot. And uh, I felt bad that I was using his time because I, I sort of had this feeling that ah, I think I'm going to stay doing what I'm doing and at least a little bit longer. And uh, so I shared with him that I was starting a beverage company. And he said, wait, what? what? What are you doing? And I said, yeah, I'd started it. We got into Whole Foods. He was like, that's cool. Like, you got into Whole Foods? I mean, that's crazy. I didn't know you were, had beverage experience. And I'm explaining the whole story to him. And he said, you know, it's really interesting. I, uh, I, or he said, we're, we're actually having chefs come into Google because there's not enough restaurants around our area for, for lunch. And so I don't know if we have any beverages. And I said, well, I have, you know, water with fruit in it if you need it. Kind of joking, but sort of serious. And he said, I'll give you this guy Charlie's phone number. Give him a call. He didn't know what he was doing. Again, the power of these words. He was just offering it up. <laughs> so I reached, I followed up. 
And I reached out and Charlie said, oh, Omid, I love Omid, Omid's awesome. And I said, yeah, he told me to give you a call. So uh, he said, well, you know, if you could drop off some cases, I'll see what the Google employees think. And I said, terrific, I did that. And, uh, and then he called me back and he said, can you give us 30 cases? He's thinking this is a tiny order. I'm thinking, oh my God, there's like, I don't know if I even know the supply, right? And then he calls me like at the end of the week and he said, can we have 300 cases? And I said, whoa, hold, hold on. Like, uh, how much do you guys think you're going to be ordering? And he said, everybody loves it. And we love it too, because we're not giving people soda. We're giving people water to drink so they can have plain water or they can have a product like yours. And so we really like that. And I said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You guys are our biggest customers. And they said, really? I mean, I, we thought you were in Whole Foods. I said, no, no, we are in Whole Foods, but we don't sell that much stuff through Whole Foods. And so that was the beginning of us becoming the largest beverage in Silicon Valley. And I guess, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a, there's so many stories in there around not, I didn't know going into that lunch with Omid that that was going to turn into what it turned out to be. Yeah. Instead, I was, right, I was just going, I was, you know, saying yes, right? And again, following up, doing things that were the right things to do, but I didn't really know where it was going. If somebody would have told me, oh, actually, that's a very important meeting with Omid because he's going to introduce you to the chef and then you're going to get into, and they're going to, you know, that's going to be the beginning. If I would have thought about that, that probably would have freaked me out, right? I would have thought, Absolutely. oh my gosh, I yeah. got to prepare a lot. But instead, I just sort of went with it. And I was myself. The guy, Charlie, who was the person setting up all of the, you know, catering and, and basically servicing the employees. I mean, that was another thing. I wasn't trying to be a large company. He said, how do you know Amit? And I said, oh, I used to be in tech. And he's like, this is crazy. I love your story. Tell me, I mean, how did you get interested in this? And then again, building that relationship with the customer, being honest, I wasn't trying to be something that I wasn't. He'd say, who's your distributor? And I'm like, me and my Grand Cherokee, I deliver the cases and, you know, and, and again, people just, they remembered that story. And so people who worked for him then, you know, would, would leave. I, I mean, I, I remember Cheryl Sandberg, when she went to Facebook, her assistant called me and said, Cheryl really misses the hint. Is there any way we can bring in hint into Facebook? And I'm like, uh, of course you can. And that's when, you know, that that's how that happened. So again, being, being open, be, people would tell the stories. She, the assistant told me the story because Cheryl had told her my story, like how she did, hadn't even met me. And yet she knew the story. Again, people started hearing about it and then they would tell my story and they'd say, this is a Silicon Valley exec who decided to launch a beverage. And again, there were a lot of people who thought it was crazy, but they thought it's actually really good and it's pretty crazy. And maybe even some of them thought maybe I should go do it too, right? That maybe I should go do something that I'm really curious about and that I'm really passionate about. And, um, and again, you know, it was, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a story of 
I guess, flying the airplane as you're building it, not really knowing what was going to come next, but believing and paying attention and, uh, and, you know, surrounding yourself with great people, following through um, yeah. when people tell you to follow through. Like there, there's just so many things there that are important. Yeah, you know, those magical touch points, what I call um, magical manifesting, because, you know, you never know what is waiting for you on the other side of a meeting, on the other side of a lunch, bumping into somebody in an elevator. Totally. I mean, it's absolutely true. I, I have had similar um, synchronistic experiences where, you know, I'm giving up and I'm like, oh, no, that's not going to happen. And then I meet somebody by chance and it becomes like the most important meeting of your life. And I I really love the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, look, look. 30 cases to 300. Um, but I was curious, like, what were your original flavors? So we actually had this idea that there should be a kid's version, hint kids, and then regular hint. And this is a really funny story. We, the, the hint version was, I think, raspberry lime, pomegranate tangerine. We didn't think that single flavors was a good idea for some reason we like had this idea that it should be dual flavors and uh and what was the other one uh oh and cucumber those were the three flavors and hint and then the kids version was uh was tropical punch and we had actually a raspberry in the kids version i think we had a strawberry or strawberry lime i think we did it in both of them and uh and i'll never forget after you know we launched the kids version and you know we had a few buyers who would say to us like why is tropical punch kids versus uh regular and we said because it's a kids flavor and i'll never forget we had a a buyer call us um one day and he said you know i'm wondering if you could actually put the tropical into the regular hint bottle because I had cocktails with <laughs> with the tropical punch and I felt a little odd because I'm drinking it out of the Hint Kids bottle and people are looking at me like there's something a little wrong, right? And and uh, they knew that it was spiked in some way and so that, that wasn't the only reason why we decided to focus on the Hint, but it was kind of that realization where we want to create a product that is people are making quick decisions about the taste and they're not trying to figure out, should I, I don't have any kids. Should I actually have the hint kids instead? We're <laughs> right. I mean, stupid stuff like that, that I just thought, you know, let's just focus on just one brand one instead brand. of trying to figure out how to reach these others. Well, that's like the first iteration, right? And I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought of cocktails with this great tasting water. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, right? It's really healthy. Um, so has there ever been a time when you just wanted to give up and walk away? What are What have been some major setbacks? And how did you persevere? Yeah, I mean... One of the stories, uh, so many along the way, but you know, one of the stories that 
I think about particularly during this time over the last year um, of, you know, really weathering the COVID storm and certainly has been challenging for uh, for us and, and for many, many people and some worse than others, certainly. Um, but I remember at the beginning, what I think is the beginning of sort of realization for us in the United States, figuring out that COVID is here and it's going to do something and we don't know what. This was mid, mid-March. And so of last year. And so I remember starting to feel I was in New York on uh, March 11th and we shut down our New York office before um, New York was actually officially shutting down. And I re- I saw this fear that I had never seen. Again, I had lived in New York for a while. Um, you know, I wasn't there at the time, but I'd been through 9-11. I'm, like I had seen things that I hadn't really seen. And there was this fear coming out of my employees that I had never really kind of witnessed. And so it was at that point that we told our employees, you know what, just work from home. You know, they were getting really worried about going on the subway, et cetera. And that's when I uh, came back to San Francisco and we ended up shutting down the San Francisco office. And that weekend, uh, it was it, it was a time when, you know, store people were hoarding. Um, you know, there was no water and toilet paper. There was no hints in a lot of stores, too. And I remember just saying, this is like nothing I've ever seen, right? It was a really, really scary time. And so... I, uh, I reached out to my CFO who I was, you know, like we know each other super, super well. And he's been with the company for a long time. He's a very good friend. And I said, uh, so this is getting scary and I want to make sure I've also weathered the financial storm of 2008, 2009. Do we have enough capital in the bank? to kind of weather the storm because we're seeing that offices are shutting down. It was about 15% of our business that was about to go away overnight. We didn't know when it would come back. And also everybody's starting to shelter in place and how can we go out and raise money at this time? And he reminded me of that. And uh, he said, how are you going to raise money through Zoom? And I said, I just remember in 2008, 2009, when I was really scared. I'm a business owner, and I'm really, really terrified. And if I would have had a couple years' worth of money in the bank, I would have been able to sit a little nicer and sleep a little bit better. But I didn't have it. And I, learning from my mistakes, I wish I had that right now. And he said, well... It's kind of late right now. You're not going to be able to raise money, so don't do that. And I said, you know, technology is never supposed to be there to actually stop you. We just have to figure out how to use it and figure out how do we actually go out and raise money. And so, P.S. I love that. We did. And, um, and you know, a few people that we were talking to said, uh, you know, we're not taking any meetings right now. We're you know, staying home, we're like, okay, well, we're an essential product, we're growing, we actually need growth capital. And we got plenty of people fearing that, you know, this was not the time to raise money. But we said, no, I mean, our numbers are good. Everything is, you know, we're set up, the company is right. This is not a fire sale of any sort. It's really, it's growth capital. 
And so we found those people and we went out and raised money. So I guess when I think back on the 2008-2009 financial crisis, I talked about it as being a really challenging time for me. And I didn't really know, do you ever go through something where you're not really sure, like a, a kind of sucky situation where you're not really sure why you just went through that or what it means? Absolutely. It had meaning, right? For me yes. in 2020, that 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 I said, oh, okay, I get it now because that gave me the understanding. Different situations, but had some similarities, and it forced me to say, I need two years worth of capital in the bank that I don't have right now, and I need to move, and I cannot stay complacent, and I need to figure out how to go get it done, and. I need to drive that message too, because I had a lot of people around me saying, we're not going to be able to do it. This is the way the world is. And I'm like, I need to go try. And so that was, I think that it's a challenging time, but it's, but I think through your challenging times, you realize if you look closely, maybe not when you're experiencing it, but later on, go back and look at those challenging times. Don't forget about them. Figure out if you could do two or three things differently, what would you have done? And that was my two or three things differently that really helped me to get through this time. I really appreciate you sharing that, Cara, especially when so many of us have had to pivot, have had to rethink and redesign the way that we do business, the way that we launch. People are losing their jobs. They're trying to find purpose and meaning amidst yeah. A lot of loss, a lot of grief. I personally went through so much, you know, as you just said, do you ever have a moment where you're like, why am I going through this? Yeah. I'm there now. I'm I'm like dealing with loss and we lost our social media director three months ago to cancer. Um, I'm going through another loss, unfortunately, to cancer right now. Somebody, one of the I'm most sorry. influential people in my life. Thank you. Um and so I'm, I'm actually in a point where I'm like, what is this all about? You know, and yeah. I, I had, um, you know, this person pulled me aside on Sunday and was like, I want you part. She's the person that that helped launch my career. And now she was like, I want you part of my succession plan and to keep our legacy alive. And I'm just like, oh, my God, is this because these are two influential people in my life in a, in a like in the first you know half of the year. And I'm asking myself these questions of like, what, like, what, like, why and what's happening, but taking a lesson from your, uh, you know, a page from your book, looking back and seeing how other experiences of my life have led me to make the decisions I make to continuously show up and to continue, totally. you know, walking forward in my mission. And you're a mission driven company. You know, you've, you've expanded your mission with Hint Inc to go beyond launching flavored water, you know, to help people get healthier. So what are you evolving into and what is your mission today? Because I know the pandemic has pretty much given us the opportunity to, to sit with that, right? Yeah, I, I don't think our mission has changed. I mean, since day one, I wanted to deliver a product that helped people to stay healthy and drink water. And I've, uh, as I've shared with many people, I've never been opposed to um, tap water, right? I just found it boring. And uh, what I am, uh, and part of, you know, the other kind of 
part of my mission that I've been working on is I have a huge initiative going on in Washington right now around clean drinking water. I think access to clean drinking water and what I've learned about water um, just from starting my company. Hint, again, I didn't think that I'd ever be spending time in Washington on Capitol Hill talking about talking with, you know, representatives and senators about, you know, issues around clean water and infrastructure and all of this kind of stuff. But what I realize in my journey is that I've learned a lot and and I'm I'm in a vertical that maybe other people just they don't go to water plants. They don't see what goes on. They don't see what happens state to state. They don't think about the same things that have been part and pieces of my journey. And so, um, so again, it really just boils down to the same thing and same reason why I started this company to really help myself stay healthier, help other people to stay healthier. That can be what we drink. That can be in our, you know, skincare products. It can be in you know, lots of different things, but it really boils back, boils down to what and how can I help the customer? I love that. And I know that you have ventured out into deodorant and hand sanitizer, and, and I even have some chapstick. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so excited. Um, you know, at Wonder Women Tech, we celebrate the power of vulnerability, and you touched on that earlier. So I'd love you to share something with us that you've never shared with anyone else before. Gosh, well, uh, that I haven't shared with anybody else before. I shared a couple of stories that I have not shared with people. Um, you know, I think the story around um, around the 2008-2009 financial crisis, especially as it, you know, relates to today's day and age, um, that would definitely be one. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's tough since I've done so many interviews and, and also had, uh, had a book out there that I, you know, really spilled my heart into. Um, yeah, I don't know. That one's tough. I think I've covered <laughs> those. What is your hope um, with this book? My hope is just to really help people know that you can, can do it and that people doubted me. I had my own doubts, but the core thing is, is to figure out what you can do and how do you get started? And knowing that we all have fears, every person has some kind of fears, right? You don't have to be, uh, you know, whether you're successful or not successful, everybody has fears along the way and figuring out what those fears are and not allowing those things to stop you and to go and tackle them and and really figure out what can get done along the way. Because I think so so often we get blocked by fears. Um, the, the fear of not knowing what we're doing or not having the right experience, of not having gone to the right school, uh, whatever that is. And, and I think instead, if you take it easy on yourself and think, well, I, what am I going to learn along the way? And I may learn that I'm not really interested in going in that direction, but you, you learn that you're a little bit different person than you were before. And hopefully if, especially if you're going through challenges, if you're learning things, um, you know, just by even your challenges or failures along the way, that's the most important thing about the journey. And there's nothing wrong with learning and nothing wrong with failing. And, 
not having it work out the way that you wanted it to. Um, because again, I think you'll take those learnings and maybe years later figure out that they actually were part of a bigger plan for you. And, uh, and the more challenges you have along the way, the more persistent, resilient, uh, however you want to look at it. You do become a lot stronger. So your book was so refreshing. Thank you. You know, um, just like your water, um, it is undaunted, overcoming doubts and doubters. Where can people get this book? Yeah, so local bookstores, also Amazon, um, undaunted, overcoming doubts and doubters, and also on Audible if you uh, want to listen to me and in your kitchen while you're making dinner, that's also been, you know, totally fine as well. I love it. So, you know, looking back at your incredible life, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? I think it really boils down to living a life of, of learning, right? And, and knowing that that's not going to be um, the easy way, right? That it's going to be the way instead that you're passionate about and you're curious about. Um, allow curiosity to really take you down a place and don't be afraid to not be the most knowledgeable person in the room, but instead know that you're going to go to a place where you're just going to learn. And at times it's exhausting and it can be lonely, right? And um, But instead, I think that you'll become a better person and a wiser person and a more resilient person if you allow yourself to be in positions where uh, you really are taking that learning route. I really appreciate your tenacity yeah, and resilience. It comes through in your book, but also just in having this conversation with you, Kara. And, you know, I, I'm fangirling now. I mean, just getting to know your, your story on an intimate level. I'm enjoying reading your book. I, I know that um, our listeners need to go out and get this book. It's really full of just authentic learnings as Cara's mentioning and you will definitely get a lot from it so Cara thank you so much for being with us today thank you I thanks look forward everyone to everything that you do moving forward thank you so much thank you so much for being here innovators we'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time